Turn in your hymnals, please, to number 142. The hymnal is the, uh, the uh, not-so-often-used book that's in the pew there. Brush the dust off of it. Page 142, and if you are on the right page, you will find a Christmas carol, a hymn, entitled, Angels We Have Heard on High. This will be our text for today. If you don't have a hymnal where you are at, uh, find somebody who does. You, you, you will need one. If you don't know them, just sidle up next to them and say, I only want you for your hymnal. And this will help you to meet new people. You'll, you'll be ready to go. The first verse says this. Angels we have heard on high, singing sweetly through the night. And the mountains in reply echoing their brave delight. You know, most of the time when we sing praises to God, it's, it's during the daytime. And I can safely say that because I think if you took on average, the, the amount of praise sung to God, probably worship services like this one, would, would rule the day as far as frequency. And indeed, we do hold our church services during the day. I mean, today the sun is shining bright at about 4,000 feet and above. And uh, we can see, yeah, we, 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 can, we can see each other here, we sing our praises and whatnot, but there are some notable exceptions in salvation history where singing praises to God was not done just during the day, but during the night. Probably one of the most famous is the account of Paul and Silas in the book of Acts, there they are, they are beaten for their faith severely. They're thrown into jail, and not just into jail, but into the inner cell of the jail. And not just into the inner cell of the jail, but their feet are put in the stocks, which probably meant that at best their swollen, cut, bleeding backs were against a wall, or probably more likely there was nothing at all to lean on. Feet in the stocks, backs bleeding, singing praises to God in the dark. Now, blessedly, we still continue at least part of this tradition, at least for the moment, not so much the bleeding backs and feet and stocks part. But we do still sing at night. We call it Christmas caroling, don't we? And when we go out at this, this time of the year, we will go places and, and, and we will sing these Christmas carols during the night. And I can't help but think that the effect that the singing of these Christmas carols would have would be very different if we sang it at, say, two o'clock in the afternoon on a, on a sunny day. For there's just something about singing these carols at night that captures the spirit of Christmas. In fact, picture this in your mind if you can. Uh, someone at home, alone, perhaps they've been alone for quite some time. The sun has long gone over the horizon and they hear a knock at their door. And opening it, they peer out into the darkness, and suddenly they hear the rich refrains of ancient carols being sung. Yes, these are carols that are being sung by strangers, but somehow they bring a warmth to the loneliness and the cold that leaves a glow long after the carolers have left. You see, in my mind's eye, this is one of the reasons why those angels 2,000 years ago outside of Bethlehem sang their songs of praises during the night 
And yes, it's true. That's probably when Jesus was born. But it was also at that time when the sun had long dipped over the horizon that the extreme contrast between the darkness of night and the brightness of those angels sweetly singing through it surely taught a profound lesson. And that lesson is this. There is no situation so dark that the good news of Jesus can't brighten it up. So how is it with you this holiday season? What darkness do you face? Maybe there's someone who was here last Christmas season but isn't here now. Maybe something happened this year that you so very much wish had not happened. Or maybe something didn't happen that you wish did. Whatever the case, let the angelic concert on the plain of Bethlehem remind you the glorious peace that Jesus brings can still break through the darkest of nights, even yours. The light that gives light to everyone has come into the world. Why not hear his knock and open the door of your heart and let his love dispel the darkness? You know, this time of year, perhaps more than others, is a time when I think the invitations to accept Christ can be the loudest, and I praise the Lord for that. The entire season, rightly understood, focuses on Jesus. If you haven't made a decision for Jesus Christ yet, maybe you've never been baptized, or maybe you were baptized at some time in the past and you've, you've faded from that, I just want to encourage you, let this be your season. Let this be the time. Say yes to Jesus. And for those of you that have already made a decision, but maybe you need to recommit, let this be your season. Jesus is inviting. Let us accept his invitation. Let's sing about it. Take a look there at verse 1 of Angels We Have Heard on High. Angels we have heard on high. Sing with me. Sweetly singing through the night and the mountains in reply echoing their brave delight. Shepherds, why this jubilee? Why these songs of happy cheer? What great brightness did you see? What glad tidings did you hear? It will surprise, surprise exactly no one when I say that Christmas today is a global affair. Oh, I know there are, some, there are some portions of the world that do not celebrate Christmas. I understand that. But my guess is, given the commercial firepower of Christmas, that even those places get a few glimpses every now and then. Christmas, generally speaking, is everywhere. And by the way, here in Berrien Springs, I'm learning this. This is a new thing to me. Christmas begins the day after Halloween. I mean, it, it's remarkable. I had no idea that this, that this was a thing. You, you, the, the pumpkins come out of the window, and there's a Christmas tree the very next day, right? I think some places, actually, the Christmas tree was already up, and the lights were going, but the curtains were closed, and like at 12.01 on, on the first day of November, bing, it's Christmas time in, in, in Berrien Springs. No matter where you go, 
Christmas can be found, at least in the Western world, with, with songs. How many times have you already heard Jingle Bells? You go to the mall, you hear the, the, the songs singing, the decorations in the window, the, the faux presents, the, 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 the fake Santa Clauses that are all set up, taking requests for parents that hope their children choose wisely. Christmas today is a global event. But the truth is that the very first Christmas was not. In fact, the very first Christmas was an extraordinarily private affair. In fact, so private it was, and and I realize this next thing is an argument from silence, but apparently even the citizens of Bethlehem neither saw nor heard the angels singing. I mean, there's no record of it. The shepherds had to go tell them, not the other way around, right? This, This was a private thing. And given the private nature of that first Christmas, can you imagine how honored those shepherds must have felt? I mean, there's something special about private audiences with greatness, isn't there? I I can't say that I've had too much experience with those types of audiences, but but I have had a little bit. Uh, Some years ago, there was a young adult ministry conference that was called Connections 99. You'll never guess what year it was held in, right? Connections 99, it was uh, the second of a a series of young adult ministry events that had been uh, put on. Connections 99, this time, it took place at the General Conference building in Silver Spring, Maryland. Now, in those days, I I had a a different opinion of the General Conference building. I thought I was walking into the mouth of the lion. It was not my favorite place to be purely on some preconceived notions that I had. But to my great surprise... When I got there, people were welcoming. They were so thrilled that we were there. Hundreds of young adults gathered to to talk about Jesus and ministry and the three angels' messages. It it turned out to be a great weekend. Now, I was programming director for uh, Connections 99, and so that meant that uh, I directed the programs. Genius, huh? Uh, For for what happened there for Connections 99, including Saturday night. On Saturday night, we were going to have a special closing ceremony, and it involved a puzzle. The puzzle was only about this big. It had, you know, hundreds of pieces to it. The idea was that every young adult who attended would be given a piece of the puzzle to take with them when they went home, the message being, you know, we're all part of, of, a, of a larger picture. We're working together to do what the Lord has asked us to do. So it's a powerful symbol. But we weren't quite sure of the details. I mean, how do we take this this little puzzle and and make it meaningful? So someone said, well, hey, why don't we call some of the brass from upstairs? And so two gentlemen came down. This is Saturday night, closing night. uh, Jan Paulson and Al McClure. Now, at that time, Jan Paulson was the General Conference president. And Al McClure was the president of the North American Division. And I'd seen their pictures before, and I I knew a little bit about who they were, but had never met them. And I confess, when when they came, and and they said, well, who who do we meet with? And they pointed to me, and the three of us, just the three of us, walked off into a corner of the lobby of the general conference session. I remember thinking to myself, well, this isn't bad. 
I mean, here are these two guys, who's fairly, I mean, as far as the Adventist church is concerned, pretty, pretty high-powered here. And we have this little conversation. So, well, how do you think we should do this? And, and we talked about it a bit, and I said, well, maybe one of you could say something. Uh, Elder Paulson uh, looked at Elder McClory and said, well, Al, this is your division. Why don't you say something? Why don't you go first? Oh, I don't know. You know, you're the GC. Why don't you do this? You know, this kind of self-deferential thing, tennis match going back and forth. And, and we finally concluded as to what would happen Ceremony went very well. They were gracious to us. And I was honored. I was honored. Which to me teaches at least two lessons. Number one, never underestimate the honor that you grant to a young person when you spend a few moments with them. I know you're busy. But if you get the opportunity, take the time. It just might create a positive influence and memory that will last a lifetime. And secondly, take that honor that I felt that evening and multiply it by an infinite amount. And that is the honor that Jesus has bestowed on us. You see, Jesus still gives private concerts. Jesus still seeks a private audience with you. Jesus would have come and died even if you were the only person on the planet. And right now, as always, you have his complete and undivided attention. No wonder those shepherds were jubilant. They had seen a great and bright hope. They had heard the glad tidings. And though those tidings were intended for the entire world, they were also intended just for them and just for me and just for you. Behold what honor the God of the universe has bestowed upon us. Let's think about it. Take a look at verse 2. Shepherds, why this jubilee? Why these songs of happy cheer? What great brightness did you see? What glad tidings did you hear? Gloria in excelsis Deo. Come to Bethlehem and see him whose birth the angels sing. Come adore on bended knee Christ the Lord, the newborn King. We're going to start with the easy questions first. How many of you have been born? All right, those of you that did not raise your hand, we'll have a little talk afterwards. We'll, we'll clear some things up, which are undoubtedly a mystery to you. Uh, second question, maybe a little harder. How many of you remember what it was like? Yeah, me neither. Right. It's kind of a blessing, isn't it, that the Lord kind of brushes some amnesia on, on babies' brains, because uh, it's fairly traumatic uh, most of the time, right? But let me tell you at least a little bit about what it's like. I've seen two live births. Uh, I've been a part of that process in the last 20, 20 years or so. 
And uh, let me tell you at least a little bit about what it's like. Uh, if you go today, in, uh, at least in, in the West, certainly here in the United States, to have a baby, often you will go to a birthing suite. Now, when I was born, they did not have birthing suites. In fact, there wasn't a whole lot that was sweet about birth at all. But birthing suites now, I, I mean, they're, they're, they're gorgeous. They're, you know, very well done. There's woodwork there and these and beautiful colors and everything is soft and nice and welcoming. And the technology that is woven into that environment is breathtaking. I mean, there is technology and technical know-how and medical expertise that is just bursting from those birthing suites. There are things to monitor the baby and the mother's health, you know, just to make sure everything is going all right. If something goes wrong, in the blink of an eye, the room will be filled with professionals and highly trained people applying this advanced technology This is one of the reasons why the mortality rate for infants in this country is as low as it is, because we are blessed with tremendous expertise and technology. Which explains to me a little bit more why the birth of Jesus is such an awe-inspiring spectacle. You see, heaven, the place that Jesus left to be born here is better than all of our technology put together. Uh, This is why heaven is described in the Bible as using ink horns and writing kits and paper books. Uh, You know the picture of an angel with a quill pen? It all seems kind of prehistoric to people today. There's a reason for that. Because if God tried to explain, for instance, the data storage and retrieval systems that they actually use in heaven, we simply would not have the capacity to understand. We're not smart enough. It would be like trying to teach trigonometry to a cricket or teaching a whale how to hula. It's not going to happen because the difference between heaven and us is vast. Think about this. What would take us millennia to construct, God can simply speak into existence. Uh, we, what we can do only on water skis behind a fast and expensive boat, Jesus does by going for a stroll on a raging storm. And what even most of our, our most skilled physicians and our most advanced medical technology cannot do, Jesus does by mixing spit and dirt and telling a guy to essentially go take a bath, and sometimes he will skip the spit and dirt part and just speak blindness away. Heaven does indeed know how to handle life far better than we do. And yet at Jesus' birth, Jesus went from all that heaven had to offer and came to Bethlehem. And at his birth, only Joseph and Mary, as far as we know, were present. There wasn't even a midwife around. At best, there were a few cows And last I checked, bovine obstetrics aren't very helpful if things go wrong in a human birth. All of that condescension, no technology, no one there to help should something go awry, speaks to the condescension, key word, condescension that was made for us so that we might know God. Because as the Bible tells us, Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being made in human likeness, just as he was in that stable in Bethlehem.
It's no wonder, therefore, that when we understand what God has sacrificed for us, what he has left behind, how he has condescended to us, we too will come on bended knee and bow in adoration to Christ the Lord, the newborn king. Let's sing about it. Verse 3. Come to Bethlehem and see him whose birth the angels sing. Come adore on Bethlehem, Christ the Lord, the newborn King. See him in a manger laid, whom the angels praise above. Mary, Joseph, lend your aid while we raise our hearts in love. You all know what a manger is, right? A manger, we still have them, you know, the feeding trough type of thing. My family has a farm in Oklahoma, and uh, growing up, I would spend as as much time on the farm as my asthmatic lungs would allow. Uh, I had a great time working there over the years. Family is still there. And they, to this day, have have mangers. They have have feeding troughs because of the, the livestock that they have. Now, generally, when the Christmas story is told, we do as I just did and point out the condescension of Christ in coming to a stable. Now, I understand, uh, you know, was it, was it a stable that was above ground, you know, a wooden structure, was it a grotto underneath? There, there, there is, is debate about this. I've been to Bethlehem and was able to see all three places that Jesus was born. Uh, you can pay good money uh, to, to find each one of those places. Uh, so wherever it was, if it was a stable of some sort, it was most likely a place that frankly wasn't very pleasant. It probably reeked. The smell probably would have met your nostrils right away. You know, animal waste, manure, probably rats running around, had the run of the place. And it's appropriate to remember all of those things when we think of the condescension of Jesus. But I would encourage you not to make a mistake. Don't include the manger in that messiness. You say, well, why not? Because even back then, mothers knew not to put newborns in a manure pile or into garbage bins, etc. In fact, I would even go so far as to say that outside of a palace where Christ deserved to be born, of all the other places that Jesus could have been laying after his birth, a manger was the most fitting. You see, to a horse or a donkey... Or perhaps, for our purposes here today, to a sheep. The manger is a place that you long to be. You long to be at the manger because from the manger comes food. From the manger comes nourishment. And therefore, quite literally, from the manger comes life. My fellow sheep, again I ask you, 
How is it with you this holiday season? Are you hungry? Are you hungry spiritually for more than what you have? If you are, then come to the manger of Bethlehem. Capital M, the manger of Bethlehem. There you will find real food, real nourishment, not merely for your stomach, but for your heart. There you can feast on the bread of life, Jesus Christ, the only item on life's menu that can truly sate our hunger. He is waiting to serve you. He holds out his hand. Come and eat food from the manger that will satisfy for eternity. What will your answer to him be? Let's sing about it. Verse 4. See him in a manger late, whom the angels praise above. Mary, Joseph, lend your aid while we raise our hearts in love. I suppose there's just one last thing we ought to say before leaving those angels we've been hearing on high, and here it is. Someday, and I pray it will be soon, we shall hear them again. And furthermore, if we choose, we can not only hear them again, but this time we can sing with them. For this life is a preparation for the next. Perhaps we could say that this life is an audition for the life to come. We have here on earth the opportunity to prepare for the greatest joy and adventure that humankind will ever have, knowing Jesus, being with him ad infinitum for eternity. And for all of those who take advantage of this earthly audition for that heavenly choir, for all who choose Christ as their Lord and Savior, someday soon... Those clouds will open, the skies will part, Christ will return, and get this, with him will be those very same angels that were singers on that Bethlehem plain 2,000 years ago. It's exactly the same ones. They're doing just fine, and they are warming up even as we speak to get ready for this last great concert on earth. And instead of them, this time, injecting themselves into our lives as they did at Bethlehem, we will join them. And the heavenly choir will sing all over again. It will be, I guarantee you, a reunion concert worth attending. (laughs) May the Christmas season find us firmly in Christ. May we know him personally and intimately. And may each one of us be ready when that angel choir sings again. Let's sing the chorus one more time together. Glory. 